Well, welcome everyone to New Life Sunday service. It's uh, great to be with you this morning. It was great to uh, see all the good mornings this morning in the live chat as well. It doesn't quite compare with having you actually here physically with us, obviously, um, but nevertheless, um, it was still very, very good to see those things. New Life is a community that exists for the glory of God and the gospel of grace. So the good news that calls us home to be a part of the household of God, that we can answer the invitation to prayer, that we actually have a road in that we can actually answer that invitation to prayer. My name is Young, lead pastor here at New Life. And if you're new to New Life, welcome to the live stream. You might have seen uh, some of are uh, people in the live chat actually welcoming you if you are new. Uh, We'd love to be able to connect with you as well, so please do stick around till the conclusion of the service. Um, Fill out the newcomers form, which will be um, at the tail end of the announcements. And that'll be available via the QR code or our Linktree link. And we'll be able to connect with you uh, from that point and tell you about some exciting events that happen midweek Um, online and how we can continue to actually connect with you. Now for our time of fellowship, as we've been doing over the past few weeks during lockdown, uh, let's share in the YouTube live chat this week. How about you tell us one way that you've seen the grace of God this past week? So tell us one way that you've seen the grace of God. You know, there's that old saying that goes, you can't see the forest for the trees. And if you're too close to something, it's really hard to see anything except the fine details. You can't really get a big picture view of what's going on. And sometimes it's hard to see the grace of God because you're so close to everything that's happening right in front of you in your life. And so hopefully you've been able to actually take a step back and say, actually, here are some things. Here are some areas where I've seen the grace of God at work, and you were able to share and encourage uh, the New Life community. Um, We're going to go into our scripture reading this morning, so I'll pass it over to uh, Jonathan.
Thank you, Jonathan, for the reading of the Word of God this morning, and happy Father's Day. Uh, Jonathan, if you didn't know, is one of the dads here at New Life, um, has fairly recently uh, welcomed in his uh, second child, I should say, not his first, his second child. To all the dads of New Life, happy Father's Day. Um, we're praying that this day will be a great blessing and encouragement to you, um, and that our Father God's love would be made even clearer to you uh, today. Why don't I pray for us, and then uh, we'll get into the passage. Uh, Father, we turn to you, recognizing, Lord, that you are our great heavenly Father. Uh, What better day than to turn to you now and to pray to you on Father's Day, to recognize, Lord, that you are perfect in your love towards us, Indeed, often we forget about this and we um, paint over you with images of our own fathers here on earth, imperfect as they are. We paint over you with images of how we expect you to be, but you break all of those expectations. You're greater in your love than we could ever imagine or ask for. And so we ask, Lord, that you would communicate clearly to us how this love looks, who you are, what your character is like, and help us, Lord, to listen and to recognize who you are. We want to know you. We want to truly know you. We want to believe in you. We want to trust you. And we want to speak to you in prayer. So give us prayerful hearts this morning. Help us to turn to you and seek you with all of our hearts. Be with us and fill us with new love. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I have a really great love for this passage from Luke that uh, Jonathan read to us this morning. Um, A few months ago, before we actually went into lockdown, we had a series, Teach Us to Pray, uh, where we looked at how Jesus taught his disciples when they asked him to teach them how to pray. Um, perhaps you started lockdown with that great intention of knowing God more. You know, maybe that was your optimistic self thinking, okay, yeah, this lockdown can be a time where I can actually get to know God more, really delve into the Bible, really get to know him in prayer as well. And then today, wherever you're at in your relationship with God, allow this passage to shape your understanding of prayer. The things that lead you to pray because prayerlessness often comes from a place of doubt about the one that we pray to. And if that's the case, how can we actually stop doubting God and trust him? So the things that you believe about prayer can also be shaped by this passage as well. So let this tell you why we must pray and what should form our thinking about prayer. Now, when we discuss thinking about prayer, I I love that we can even talk about this because in general, we as Christians over the past couple of decades have grown in our love and appreciation for theology. You know, for quite a time, theology was just kind of in the background, but it's come very much to the forefront these days. And yet, despite our growth in this area, there's also been a bit of a strange and disturbing trend that I've observed where some people have begun to doubt whether or not prayer is really necessary. 
You know, they've allowed certain kinds of thinking to cloud their minds and think, well, it's gonna happen anyway. You know, God's just gonna have his, anyway, his way anyway. And they go into a sort of fatalism rather than Christian faith. It's as though we can only really sustain one thing. Like our brains get stimulated as we study, as we get to know him in theology, and then our hearts slowly die. Now, it's been said before that theology teaches about God and is taught by God and leads to God. And great theologian J.I. Packer, he points out that the goal of theology is to lead to doxology. It's always to lead to doxology. The study of God should lead to the worship of God. It should lead to his praise. And if our study of God leads us to a place of prayerlessness, then something isn't right. It's quite possibly bad theology or theology that we have misinterpreted or misapplied. Now honestly, So many of us struggle to pray. Don't let me tell you otherwise. So many of us struggle to pray, not just here at New Life, but in the global church. And it's okay to admit this, but it's not okay to just remain in that spot. Just because you're able to diagnose a problem, it doesn't mean that you just keep looking at that problem. We have to go about actually trying to figure this thing out. Right now, New Life, we have a few different ways for you to get involved and to grow in prayer. Okay, so we've shared for the past few weeks during the announcement time uh, that we're taking part in a 40-day prayer relay where we're joining together with the rest of the church, with all of Sezun, to pray for 40 days straight. And that's every hour of the day. Um, We're actually part of the 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. time slot. And so we don't have to be up at 3 a.m. praying. We can actually join together at 1 p.m. and pray. We've got Friday night prayer every fortnight as well, where um, we pray together online. We pray for one another in small groups as well. It's just a really, really encouraging time uh, to actually be able to pray together. Even when we feel prayerless, we can come and hear the prayers of others. And we've got a prayer request form as well where you can actually ask for prayer from the leaders of the church, um, anonymously or not, uh, depending on how you want to do things. We have to be free to ask for prayer, and we have to also be able to pray ourselves. So in his great sovereignty, God has chosen to include your prayers into his plans. Our prayerlessness speaks to our doubt of God. At its core, it's because we don't get God. We don't really get the Father. We don't understand him. We don't understand his identity as the Father whose grace, the very thing that we talk about constantly here at New Life. You hear me, every introduction, every welcome, each week saying it's about the gospel of grace. We don't understand his identity as the Father whose grace is revealed and manifested and is providing what we need in an answer to our prayers. And in fact, he provides far beyond what's expected by us, those who have joined in this relationship with him. Now, 
If you're like me, if you want to light a fire uh, under your prayer life, then you have to truly know who it is that you pray to. Without knowing, well, who are we really praying to? As Jesus speaks to his disciples and shows them that they actually have something to do with this God, this gracious Father who loves to provide more than what we seek because he loves us, the disciples then, you can see, they're liberated into this kind of relationship that they can actually ask, they can seek, they can knock, knowing that the one listening to their prayers will answer with good gifts. And as we hear from Jesus as well, we too can be released into this kind of relationship where we're free to seek out God in constant communion with him, with no fear towards how he'll respond to us. Well, let's look at the parable itself. What's the function of the story that Jesus tells his disciples? Look with me at at, uh, verses five to eight there. He also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet, because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. A bit of context is needed here. So Jesus opens up this story by asking his disciples to imagine this kind of scenario. Suppose one of you has a friend And then he relates this story of asking for some bread because someone has come for a visit. Now for us, this might seem a little bit strange, this might seem a little bit awkward since for us, we have supermarkets, we might just head out to Coles or Woolies to pick up some food if someone comes to visit. We might just get delivery, like everyone's getting delivery these days, right? But what we read in the story is just the way the world worked at this time. Hospitality was a given in this society. It wasn't something that was just nice, it was a given. And it wasn't unusual for the requirements of hospitality to spill over into the expectations for help from those around you. For a little bit of context, imagine that you're a Sunday group facilitator. Okay, a lot of you guys are part of Sunday groups. Imagine that you're the facilitator. If you already are the facilitator, you don't have to stretch your imagination very far. And you're about to go into Sunday groups, okay? And you can't find the questions to go through for this week. Try as you might, you're looking through your messages, you can't find it. So you reach out to another Sunday group facilitator and you say to them, my friend, can you send me the link to the Sunday group questions for this week? My group is all ready to go, but I can't find my questions. And then you get a reply back from them. Don't bother me. We've already started our Sunday group time and my group is praying right now. I can't send you the link. Like first of all, to even imagine this scenario, 
for this Sunday group facilitator to type all that out, he could have just, like, wouldn't it be easier to just send the link in the first place? Second, why isn't this guy praying while the rest of his group is? And third, why would you be so uncaring towards a friend? But I'll tell you, even if he won't send the link due to your friendship with him, because you continue to message him, because you continue to message the group chat that all the facilitators are in, asking for the link with shameless boldness and saying, hey, you need to give me the link. Don't tell me to, you know, just go away. Then this other facilitator, due to that shameless boldness, will send the link to you with these questions. So that's the overall structure and the meaning of the story itself. But what about the different parts? At this time, bread was baked and eaten daily. Okay, they weren't preserving it, you know, so it wasn't uncommon for people to run out of bread throughout the day. As they're eating throughout the course of the day, especially if someone's dropping in for a visit in the middle of the night, you might have spent all day with your family just eating that bread. And if someone visited you and all you were eating was bread with them and the rest of the household, then three loaves of bread, like the passage talks about, would be just a fairly normal amount for you to eat for the evening meal. The house that's described by Jesus is, is probably similar to the picture that you see on screen right now as well, or perhaps even simpler uh, than that picture. So it was probably a one-room peasant house where the entire family would sleep together by making their bed on a floor mat, and they would just kind of huddle together for warmth. And if this is the case, the rest of the village would probably be fairly similar, with houses fairly compact all around. All the houses are fairly close together. So you can imagine, if one house is being disturbed in the middle of the night by a villager asking for bread repeatedly, calling out and saying, hey, come out, I need bread, the rest of the houses nearby would hear it as well. And they'd be thinking, just get up and give him some bread. Go out there. And this makes hospitality not just something that one home practices, but it becomes a responsibility of the whole village as well. One more bit of context. Look at how the story that Jesus tells has this particular word used several times throughout. It's highlighted on screen for you, friend. Four times the Lord Jesus uses this word because this word meant so much more than what I think is this kind of disposable level of friendship that we um, have today. For people to share in true friendship together was for them to share in honor together. That means just purely on the basis of friendship. It's absolutely expected that the one with the bread would help his friend because they're sharing in honor together. His friend's dishonor at not being able to provide a proper meal for his visitor would be his dishonor as well. In fact, as we saw with the close proximity of the houses in a village like this, Hospitality meant that the whole village would work together to ensure that a visitor would be well-fed for the sake of the honor of the village. The needs of one person 
become the needs of the entire village, the way that it is in today's church. The body of Christ, if one part hurts, the whole body hurts. If one part rejoices, the whole body rejoices. All this put together means that the way that the householder, the one with the bread in this story replies, is ridiculous. It's unthinkable. It's absurd. And so as Jesus is telling this story, the disciples would be like, no, that would never happen. I I can't even imagine that. As Proverbs 3 puts it, when it is in your power, don't withhold good from the one to whom it belongs. Don't say to your neighbor, go away. Come back later. I'll give it tomorrow when it is there with you. Good is not just something that should be sought out by yourself for yourself, but it's something the proverb tells us that belongs to those around you and you're giving it to them. It's not just something for you, it's something to be shared. And the end of the story tells us Jesus' own thoughts about how things ought to turn out. Verse 8, I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So the friend, as he's calling out, as he's knocking, as he's bothering this person, he doesn't care that he's waking up the whole neighborhood. For him, the priority is, I need this bread. His shameless boldness. In general, friendship itself should be enough to get the help that you need when you seek out um, someone in a situation like this. But even if friendship wasn't enough, you'll still end up with what you need since the thought of this shared dishonor would push the one with bread to answer the request. Not only would the village be in disrepute for not being able to provide bread, but the householder, the one with the bread, would be even further dishonored by his neighbors. Now, if this is the case for people like us, for us, people who are not perfect in holiness and love, people that more often display greed rather than grace, then how much more for our Father in heaven? So the relationship that we enjoy with the Father means that he answers prayers for what's needed. We can expect it in the same way that the people of this time would have expected for honor to be upkept through the sharing of the bread for those who ask. We can expect it. Our God engages with us in this and in our salvation, that honor may be placed on his name, that respect might be put on his name again, that as we continue on in the last days, more and more shall come to know him and honor him as holy until that day comes when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, I mentioned earlier that we learned together in this series, Teach Us to Pray, and that was the Matthean version, the version from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, the teaching on the prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples. And this story is from the Lucan version, so from Luke. This story, Ask, Seek, Knock, is how Jesus follows up this teaching. What he taught them about the model prayer 
This is what follows. Verses 9 to 10. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Just such a beautiful, beautiful promise. Jesus is teaching this. Because we know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, how God will respond on behalf of those who come to him in need, so we should bring our requests to him. It's simple, right? Very simple formula. Because we know how God will respond, so we should request. Here's where our theology comes in, though. Now, we ought to worship God, not the other way around. God doesn't worship us, right? And so we should be able to know God, to know that he isn't some genie that we've let out of the bottle that's just obliged to grant us wishes, okay? He's not just some slave to us. We don't just come to him and request, frankly, foolish things that would destroy us because what father would grant such a wish? No, like the person in the story, we're seeking out what's needed, what's necessary, and God is free in how he answers us. This is the best part, the fact that he's free in how he answers us. His graciousness, his love for us, means that his absolute freedom in how he answers us is for our good. Because he doesn't answer the way that we deserve, but the way that he desires to love us. Remember last week, we talked about something very similar. We talked about how he chose us from before the foundation of the world in that he's completely liberated in how he answers our prayers. This liberty means that he's able to see beyond what we request to what we truly need. The things that we might not even know or talk about. Think about those in your life. Maybe this is your own story. Think about when prayers were lifted up to God for certain things and he went far beyond. Maybe you asked him to help you to break a drug addiction and he answered by giving you the Holy Spirit to courageously confess before your brothers and sisters and ask for their help. And this ended up freeing not only you but your community around you, to actually gather around you, like the village that we read about in this passage, to restore honor to you, and to restore honor to God's name by loving one another and helping the one that's in need. Perhaps you lifted up a prayer because you found that you couldn't forgive anyone or you couldn't forgive a particular person. And not only did he answer you, by helping you to face that person and to extend forgiveness to them. But he also gave you his own son who secured your own forgiveness in him. Whatever the cry that you lifted up, God answers these genuine prayers with his own genuine love that goes far beyond what we can ask for or even imagine. Verses 11 to 13 read this. What father among you, 
If his son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead of a fish. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the kind of father that he is. Even earthly fathers want to give good gifts to their children instead of harmful things. Like these examples that are given by Jesus, like if you're drinking water, when you first read about this, you'd spit it out or you'd choke on it. Like, hey dad, can you make me some eggs? And the dad laughs evilly as he throws a scorpion at him. Like, can you even imagine this kind of scenario? We've compared earthly fathers to our heavenly father before. And we know that even the best in all of humanity cannot compare to our God. God's goodness goes far beyond those of human fathers, far outstrips them. He can be counted on to not only answer not harmfully, but with good gifts, with the perfect gift, with the greatest gift of all. And here's how good God is. It's not just the idea of giving a fish if a child asks for a fish instead of giving a snake. No, God is a superior father that our earthly fathers seek to image after. And this is reflected in the superiority of his gift to us. While human parents may give good gifts, God gives the greatest gift, the Holy Spirit. You can see it there, highlighted. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? When you ask God in prayer for help, placing your trust in him, even if what you've prayed for doesn't include a request for the Holy Spirit presence in your life, God gives the Spirit. How gracious, how faithful is our Father. He gives what's best to his children who come to him in prayer. He loves to dote on them. He loves to give to us the greatest things of all. Now we're included in God's family where his children that can come to him because of what his son Jesus did on our behalf. As he taught his disciples this model prayer that we found earlier in the chapter that we found in the Teach Us to Pray series, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray by opening with this beautiful word that reflects a new relationship. Father. As his son, Jesus bears incredible privileges and responsibilities in this household and he carries them out obediently and lovingly and perfectly. And he introduces this type of language, Father, to the disciples as a new way of understanding their relationship to God. Not only is he king, not only is he creator, not only is he Lord, he is Father. Call him Father just as I do, Jesus teaches them. And this anticipates, it points forward to Jesus at Calvary going to the cross. The dutiful son 
carries out the plan that was agreed upon before the foundation of the world. For those that God chose, Jesus goes to the cross and dies for their sins, securing their forgiveness. His substitution on our behalf is accepted by the Father, and we know this because Jesus is raised to life on the third day. And our place as sons and daughters of righteousness, as sons and daughters of the household of God, is secured in Jesus. Here in our passage this morning, just as Jesus had taught his disciples a new way of understanding their relationship with God that was consistent with his own relationship with the Father, now, with this story, he points them to the fact that the Spirit will come dwelling inside of them by the grace of God. Just as Jesus walked in the Spirit, as the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove at his baptism, as the Holy Spirit was upon him, anointing him to proclaim the good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, to recover sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, so to us, as we image after Christ. Now in telling us this story of this man looking for bread from his neighbor, Jesus invites us to pray. What's presented here at the end of the story is not a command. He doesn't say, now you must pray. He doesn't say, here's a new commandment, go and pray. No. The man in the story could have very well just entertained the visitor without bread, though it would have left him dishonored. But instead, it's a privilege. It's a gift to us. If we ask, we will indeed receive, is what we hear in this story today. As Jesus is inviting us to pray, why don't we take a few moments to pray now? Now, I'll pray for us to close out the sermon. So take a few moments to pray for yourself, and then I'll pray for us.
Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. Father, you invite us in by the blood of your Son, by the sacrificial love that you have for us, by this amazing sovereign plan that includes us, that seeks to make us image bearers once again with you. Help us, Lord, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, your Son, to be ones who can cry out to our God, our Father, knowing, Lord, that you'll respond favorably because you love us, that indeed you'll go far beyond what's asked for, that you'll even give us your Holy Spirit. And indeed, many of us walk in that Holy Spirit now. It's what convicts us of a sin that so easily entangles. It's what enables us to say no to those things. It's what changes us from the inside out, renewing our minds in Christ. We want to be ones that are good at coming to you, at asking, at seeking, at knocking, at knowing you. Help us to know you because by this, our prayer is fueled. Strengthen our love for you because our own hearts, our own flesh is weak and we need your love, we need your strength. Anoint us by your spirit and be with us as we turn to you. May we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.